Good morning, everyone. Um, our second reading, St. Paul, it's always good to put everything into context. Paul uh, is writing, we, we read part of his letter, he is in prison while he's writing that, and he's waiting to die. The executioner, uh, he figures the executioner is going to be coming. So when we read that letter and we hear, well, I'd rather be with Jesus. <laughs> now you know why. He's in the prison, <laughs> and someone's coming to kill him. And he says, and yet I'm here, and it is good that I have to remain, even in my suffering. Hmm? And then so it's good for us to, to look at, at, the, uh, at the context in which the scriptures are written. And, uh, and um, before going into the very body of my homily, I want to read a piece of scripture from Matthew and then move into my homily it's Matthew 11, and just prior to this statement, um, John's, John the baptizer's disciples have come to Jesus and said, hey, our master, John the Baptist, is wondering about you. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have had the good news proclaimed to them. Those are all wonderful things, blessings indeed. And then he says, and blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. What he's saying to John the baptizer is, don't be upset because I have not met your expectation. I have done these things as it has been written in Isaiah. Now, my homily. Mother Church holds that Anyone who dies immediately after baptism, should that happen? Let's say an adult gets baptized, and uh, I baptize them this morning, and they go out and they die. They go immediately to heaven. They bypass purgatory. They go right to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. The problem with that is um, the church should be in a joy over this because it says heaven rejoices that one sinner who is saved. And yet, we hear from other Christians, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why does that person get to go directly to heaven, bypass purgatory? They just became a Christian. And what if, um, um, you know, what if they've left a, a terrible life before this? And, uh, you know, with... Uh, dissipation, and maybe they had moral problems and, uh, um, and his precepts. And Jesus tells us, rejoice. Even at one sinner who um, is saved. And Jesus would tell us in many ways, do not be jealous of God's love and mercy for others. My friends, when Jesus spoke this gospel, the recording of it uh, by Matthew, Jesus, yes, he's talking directly to the Pharisees and the scribes of his time. But it is meant for all of us. As we can see, even back then, this attitude about God and his generosity and his love and about what's fair and what's not fair and what's just and unjust existed because Jesus is dealing with it. And we still have it today. 
And uh, the Pharisees, remember, dedicated themselves to the perfect observance of the Mosaic law. And I'm not kidding. They, to the, to the last period. And if you didn't do that, you were terrible, and God didn't love you, and you certainly wouldn't have any more existence. And the scribes, they didn't believe uh, in heaven. The Pharisees had an, an they didn't know. I don't know. There's something had happened, but we're not sure. But uh, they became openly hostile also to Jesus because of his attitude towards sinners and tax collectors. Oh, you eat with them. You're a terrible person too. They objected particularly to Jesus' willingness to forgive. How dare he? How dare he forgive them? And even worse, how dare he talk about them entering into the kingdom of God? They're friends with God? How can that be? He is making those, those people equal to us who have kept God's law and done everything we deserve. They objected. To Jesus opening up the kingdom of God to non-Jews. That was it. That was going to happen. How dare he open it up to those non-Jews. The problem was the attitude. The Pharisees felt that they had earned God's love by the very mechanical observance of the Mosaic law. And it was unfair of God to allow others, such as the Gentiles and sinners, to come near him. Those who flouted God's laws in our faces made fun of us. They are to share in the same reward should they just say they're sorry. They acted as God owed them something. And that God is indebted to them because of their goodness? You see what's happening? No, you guys wouldn't think that, would you? Would you? Break down this attitude of self-righteousness and entitlement and to show that God's love is more generous than humankind can ever imagine. God's sense of justice, it turns out, is far more merciful than humanity's. And the world says it's unfair. Still, the parable uh, is very challenging um, to our fine sensibilities, to the point that people can end up siding with the complaining laborers. <laughs> I've heard people have argued that. I, I side with the laborers. They're right rather than with the landlord, who, by the way, is God. <laughs> My friends, and the parables, the wonderful thing about the parables is you can extract many things out of them, you can many teachings, and most certainly any, any preacher who wants to preach about justice and injustice on this parable, they have the right to do so. And uh, the, it would be valid, but um, this parable really ultimately is not about that. The parable is about that. Ultimately, this is about God's generosity as exemplified by his gift of salvation. A gift freely given 
to those. However, we are asked to, if you will, to uh, cooperate with God. And, uh, but it is never something we earned. You could live a million years and you will never be able to earn this. It's not possible. And you don't have to. That's the, that's the madness of this. <laughs> you don't need to. He loves you. Already. His son is proof of it. You don't have to earn his love. But you know what you can do? To the God who created everything, make him smile. Oh, Father, well, how do we do that? Well, be nice to each other, for starters. <laughs> He's spoken about this. Love God. Love others. Treat his children with the dignity and respect they deserve, all of them, whether we disagree or agree with them. My friends, if we look very carefully at this parable, you will notice that the laborers never complain about the particular wage they were freely agreed to. So it is not a question of justice. They complain only when they see the other ones getting the same amount. Thus, this is a matter of jealousy. This parable uh, is like home, and the dad gives, and the other son's like, how dare you? My friends, deeper I look in, who is really blessed the greatest in this parable? The ones who didn't work but got paid the same amount? Or the ones who worked longer and received the same pay? I believe it is the ones that worked the longer. They are the most blessed because they have been in relationship we're not talking about money here. We're talking about being in relation with God. They had a relationship with God. They had the security of that already. I think they are more blessed. They knew. The other ones were unsure. They were unsure until God said, I love you. Will you love me back and will you do that which is good? Yes. Then you are welcome in my kingdom. My friends, back in Jesus' time, labor, work was hard to come by, and there were no unemployment benefits. There were no food stamps. Therefore, those hired early had even more reason to be grateful for the work. They really had no reason to complain. Finally, the question of the wage. My friends, this is about eternal life and salvation is what Jesus is talking about. And uh, perhaps, in a very practical way, could the owner have given the ones who worked eight hours a little bit more? I suppose they could have, but he's not talking about money. <laughs> Jesus really isn't talking about money. He's talking about salvation. There is nothing greater than salvation. God can't give you more than that. He can't give you more than eternal life. Last night I thought about it, and I'm like, well, you know, all right, maybe when you die and you go to heaven and say, you know, I deserve a little more. I was so holy on earth. Okay, how about I give you, uh, I created a universe way down there. Would you like that? Okay. You're going to be the only one there. Mm, I think I'll pass. 
right? See, I know, you know Father Mark has this sense of humor in his little movies that play in his head. <laughs> Which, don't worry, the psychiatrist said I'm fine. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> My friends, um, what God offers us, there is nothing greater. First, there is love. And then there's life with him for all eternity. There's nothing greater that he can give. He gave his son. There's nothing greater. And his love is so great that there is no way he was willing to give less to those who happen to arrive later. In deep reflection of this parable, be grateful that God has loved us so much that he freely invites us to share his life with him in heaven. We should be asking him that we would have a heart like his. How different this world would be if we were generous as he was generous and merciful as he was merciful. And yet he tells us, my ways are not yours and my thoughts are not yours. And yet we should pray that we would be more like Friends, we should learn to have a generous heart. So many treat God with such disdain and envy because of his generosity. So many Christians repay God's generosity with ingratitude and a silent treatment. So many look at his greater generosity to others as an insult to themselves, equating it to being unfair and unjust. He tells John the Baptist, who he said is the greatest human born of a woman, as he's sitting in prison and will die. Blessed is he who takes no offense at my ways. We have no reason to complain. John didn't. Paul didn't. Peter didn't. We shouldn't. Many are not. Look, he's given them more. Sometimes I go for a walk. Last night I told me I walk around and I see the million, the billion dollar homes on the water. And I think, oh. And I think, well, at least I don't have to pay the taxes on it and the upkeep. I'm not jealous. Good. I'm glad they've been blessed that way. Our judgment of God's heart is the narrow judgment of something that Jesus spoke about. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he forbid it. That's what this comes down to. We would like to reduce our Lord's big heart to the narrowest of our own small one. Instead of working harder to make our hearts bigger so they match his. Here we painfully see the human standards are always lesser than God's. 
As the first reading says, my thoughts are not yours, and my ways are not of yours. And yet we are his children, should they not be? My friends, I do not have any problem with God's generosity. I am filled with joy because he has chosen me and that he will allow me to become part of his kingdom. Now, you know how I feel about that, don't you? I plan to be the court jester because in every movie I've seen, the court jester is right there by the king. That's my way of getting close to the altar. <laughs> you can figure out your own way. But it is enough just to be within the gates, is it not? It is of little disturbance to me that others receive more than I do. God, not I, is the judge of what those people need. I do not begrudge God his generosity. I do not question the greatness of his heart. I am grateful that his heart was there. His love was there for me. When the storms came for me. But I am most grateful to know that when my again welcome me home one day. I am grateful for that. And whether that time come, as the book of Revelation puts it, or as it normally happens, just from the customary passing from this world, human death. I will be grateful. My friends, I believe God's happiness is intertwined in his generosity. And he has told us through his son, your happiness will be found in being generous as I am generous, in loving as I love. There you will find happiness. My friends, the problem with us we tend to ask this question. What is in it for me if I do this? That question leaves no room for God. 